Welcome to the discussion, Cybersecurity Compliance and Risk Management, sponsored by HID Global. Here's today's moderator, John Thomas Flynn. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Yves Massard, Product Marketing Director for Identity and Access Management Solutions at HID Global. Yves, welcome to, uh, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you here on our discussion of uh, cybersecurity and risk management and identity and access management. In fact, let's talk, one of the things we always heard about is there's certain things that are certain in this world, and that's death and taxes, but I think you could add government regulation mandates to that category as well for number three. And let's talk about the government mandates in terms of cybersecurity compliance. What do you see out there? Yeah, absolutely. So we're seeing more and more government mandates in that area. Cybersecurity risk is uh, an area that's becoming more and more forefront. It's uh, it's been there at the federal level and uh, it's becoming uh, more and more prevalent also at the state level. And we're seeing a lot of uh, mandates that are being applied in different sectors. So it's not one size fits all, but what we're seeing is more at the, the sector area. So for example, if your government organization is working with the IRS, you might have to comply with uh, IRS PUP 1075 if you're getting taxpayer information. Um, if you are getting access to um, a criminal background check from the FBI, you will fall under the CGS. Um, if you are um, uh, prescribing um, uh, controlled substances um, in New York State, uh, you, uh, you might have to uh, use uh, digital certificates in order to be able to prescribe and then fulfill that prescription if it's done uh, digitally. Uh, so there's uh, lots and lots of different mandates that are coming from uh, different areas. Um, they all have a lot of, of things in common, but they all have also specificities to each of their different sectors. And it's certainly true that it's not only the federal government, the state government gets involved in that, everything from elections to the opioid is, uh, issue. Yeah, absolutely. So um, um, on the election uh, area, as you know, it's uh, something that's very distributed uh, from the federal to the state to the county level. Um, and you have the federal level that's uh, providing grants, the HAVA grants that uh, help uh, election uh, organization to uh, be able to shore up their cybersecurity defenses. Mm -hmm. Let's talk, let's shift a little bit and talk about identity and access management. It's such a big issue. And uh, when we've talked to you folks from HID Global before, I always recollect my early days as a CIO in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And the biggest problem we had with, uh, with this kind of thing involved some of our employees looking up uh, the professional athletes' tax returns. The things have changed a lot. That still happens, but not as much. But certainly the, the threats are, are a lot grayer. Tell us about the entire landscape of where identity access management has evolved over the last few years. Yeah, so if you, if you go back, you know, uh, uh, you might have had uh, some uh, security measure, but a lot of it was around uh, username and password. Uh, nowadays, it's all about uh, multi-factor authentication and zero trust, uh, being able to make sure that the right person has access to the information or the application uh, and, and not somebody else. Um, and uh, you're seeing a lot of new technology standards and best practice that are starting to be adopted. Uh, zero trust is one of those where really it's uh, all about making sure that uh, you always make sure that it's the right person that's ac accessing the application. Um, and part of making sure that you can do that is uh, being able to have a, a secure identity so you know it's the right person and, and not somebody else that just gets the password um, from, uh, you know, from, from uh, a trove of password that was found on the internet. 
You know, identity access management seems to always begin within a particular department, but it has to evolve. There's, there's, there's more complications as you spread it around having interagency uh, access as well. Talk about that challenge. Yeah, so uh, that's uh, that's something that's really also dependent on the organization at the state and local level. Um, you, you're right that quite often, you know, there might be a specific department that have a, that may have a stronger mandate or might be earlier than their colleagues in adopting stronger security. Uh, but at some point, you know, in two disconnected world, the organization needs to work with each other, and then the question becomes. How do they know that uh, an employee from, or a contractor from a different organization is the right person? Um, and there's, uh, you know, there's not one size fits all. Uh, different uh, uh, different states have different ways to approach that. Some states look at it from a centralized standpoint, where they might uh, pr uh, set up a shared service provider uh, that will essentially be the federation for the for the whole states. Uh, other states prefer to go maybe more decentralized. Um, and in which case, you know, there are also technology that lets you provide a secure identity that can be verified across different organizations with things like, uh, for example, digital certificates, where even if you didn't provide that secure credential to that person that's coming to your application, you have a way to verify that it's the right person, making sure that that's, that person is who you think you are, and then you can grant them access per your policies. And certainly with the advent of uh, mobile devices, it's added an extra layer of complexity to this whole issue as well. How are we addressing that? Yeah, so I, I think what's really important is really looking at your application, you know, what is it that your user wants to do and how they're going to access that. Um, because depending on, uh, because there's, there's many different options that are actually available out there in terms of uh, technology and how you plug into that. So it's really important to uh, take a, a survey of the land, see what you need, and from there you are able to um, uh, find a solution that works for your users. It might not be one size fits all. You might have a pocket of users that needs some kind of uh, um, type of security, while another pocket of users might need something a little bit different. And so the, the industry provides you uh, different ways to tackle that problem, depending on what's more appropriate for your population of users. And certainly, uh, the, we're going to talk a little bit more about telework, but uh, it certainly is, 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 is certainly at this point in time with the coronavirus. It certainly is the forefront. It's it's uh, ripped from the front page headlines, right, about the the issue of telework. And as I've always said over the years, uh, and I've been saying this since I was a CIO back in the mid '90s, when we were talking about uh, continuity of operations, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And I I talked to my colleagues, my fellow CIOs, and I'd say. You know, if your governor came in tomorrow and said that the employees couldn't come down to the main campus of uh, the Capitol, are we prepared? Are we prepared to be able to work to continue operations or not? And I want to tell you, I didn't. I didn't get some real good answers to that, and I still don't. We're going to take a little break right now. My guest today is Eve Massard, Product Marketing Director for Identity Access Management Solutions at HID Global. I'm your moderator, John Thomas Flynn, on the discussion of cybersecurity compliance and Risk Management, sponsored by HID Global on Federal News Network. Finding the right multi-factor authentication and building a zero-trust strategy that's compliant with current mandates can feel like a huge challenge. Security doesn't have to be overly complex. State, county, or municipalities can be protected using the same ironclad security as the federal government. HID Global has a comprehensive identity management platform 
providing cybersecurity compliance, MFA for privileged users, e-authentication, and simplified PKI. Learn more at hidglobal.com slash sled. Welcome back to the discussion, Cybersecurity Compliance and Risk Management, sponsored by HID Global on Federal News Network. My guest today is Eve Massard, Product Marketing Director for Identity Access Management Solutions at HID Global. I'm your moderator, John Thomas Flynn. Eve, before we uh, took a break, we were talking about mobility and how that added to the complexity of the issue of uh, compliance with security, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, let's move along to access controls. I know that the federal government has taken the lead on this. What are, there, what are some of the uh, similar levels of maturity that state and local governments are adopting, similar to what the federal government's done? Yeah, um, you know, it, it very depends on the, the organization. Um, a lot of the technology that the U.S. federal government has um, uh, deployed can also be reused by the state and local agencies. Uh, and in fact, the industry has been taking a lot of the lesson learned and taking advantage of, uh, uh, you know, cloud technology to be able to repackage that in a way that's uh, a lot easier for, for state and even local organization to be able to take advantage of all those capabilities and provide a level of security that's very similar to what the federal government has, but really for a fraction of the, the cost, because a lot of the cost also comes around the, the, the processes and some of the federal government due processes due to the size of the federal government may be a little bit prohibitive. But the good news is that the local and state organization, they don't have to abide by that. Actually, a lot of it doesn't even apply to them. And so they can take advantage of the technology without having to worry about all the red tape. And what that means is that they can they can benefit from it for really a, a smaller fraction of the cost than what the federal government uh, pays for. Okay, that's interesting. I, I was curious. I know there's been uh, a number of bills passed in Congress, or at least raised in Congress, about the issue of of uh, funds for cybersecurity in, in state and local government, which I think is going to happen. But in the meantime, you're saying that there's actually all the investment that the Fed's made, and I believe it's in the area of you know, just under $20 billion a year, uh, the IT budget spending is for cybersecurity. That can be leveraged for state and local. Any examples of that that you're familiar with? Yeah, absolutely. So for example, um, uh, the federal government has deployed the PIF card. Uh, which uh, provide a, a secure identity to employees and uh, contractors. All that infrastructure that there uh, can be can be also used by uh, local uh, and state government. Uh, there's uh, several providers that provide that as a cloud service, so that uh, the local or state government doesn't have to worry about all the infrastructure. Uh, they can just uh, connect that to their to their infrastructure, and they can they can leverage that. Uh, uh, secure identity uh, um, immediately. Essentially, they might not get uh, you know some of the some of the federation with the federal government if uh, if they they don't want to spend uh, too much. But they can go all the way to if they want uh, having that federation in terms of uh, that 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 secure identity being recognized by the federal government. But if they're just deploying internally, uh, they can just. Uh, um, um, uh, deploy that that infrastructure for them and, and immediately uh, uh, 
shore up their, their cyber security compared to, you know, many are still using username and password, right? Mm -hmm. So that's that's actually a, a, a huge break from uh, from where they are today. Yeah, and it's interesting because we always talk about the state and local government. They're, they're a little bit afraid of leading edge technologies and they're scared to death of bleeding edge technology. Yeah. So it's nice that they can look at the federal government, see what's worse, what's best practices, et cetera. Yeah, and you know, that infrastructure uh, really, you know, started almost 20 years ago with the, the DOD. It became more widespread around 2008, 2009. Uh, so we're talking about something that's mature already. Uh, you know, it's not uh, it's not bleeding edge. That's something that's been deployed to uh, more than five million active users. So it's uh, you know it's quite proven. Mm -hmm. I know that back when when I was CIO in in Massachusetts and California, uh, there was the beginnings of what we saw to citizen access to government. Uh, became a big deal. It's even bigger now. I mean, it's in the top 10 list of the uh, NASIO's top 10 priorities every year for the last four or five years is digital government. And that certainly involves this whole issue. But I remember back in the early days, you'd get like the Department of Motor Vehicles that said, okay, we want to have people, we want to allow them to register their car online. And it was great. People would go in and do that. Well, unfortunately, about the same time, the welfare agencies said, well, we'd like to register people for welfare eligibility online. So that went, that went all the way down the list with agency after agency developing their yeah. own protocols. That's a big mess. How does this get straightened out? Yeah, so actually the, the industry also has uh, changed a lot in that area. And uh, there's open standards that are, that are out there that lets uh, uh, application connect to uh, um, an identity provider uh, so that you can, uh, you can set up one identity provider that uh, uh, multiple application, the DMV, the state franchise board, name it, can then connect to that. And so instead of each of those agencies or departments having to build up their IAM for citizens, they can, they can rely instead on, on federation and having that uh, uh, centralized at the state level, could be even across states, depending on you know, what, uh, what, what all those, uh, those organizations, well, they want to work together or that'll not. That'll be right? the day, but yes. still, it, it, <laughs> it's it, it, it can be a stretch goal, let's yes, put it that, that way. That's right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense because I've always said, why are there 50 Department of Motor Vehicle applications around the country yeah. struggling and struggling? Let's take a really good one and, and use it from multiple states. Um, so how does, I know that there's been a big push lately for identity and access management initiatives in state and local government. Speaking of NASIO's top 10, it was in NASIO's top 10 last year. So how does, uh, do you see the, uh, what's the latest and best practices in terms of the states that are actually looking to an enterprise IAM solution? Yeah, so the, the, the latest is uh, Zero Trust. Uh, you know, it's something that uh, um, started a few years back and is really starting to gain steam. Um, a lot of it is also around what's changing uh, in the market. Um, so over the last uh, 10 years, you know, mobility uh, has really exploded and also cloud application has really exploded. What that means for IT organization is that the old approach of uh, modes firewall that's protecting you and then once you're inside, you have access to your application. Well, that doesn't work anymore because your application might be outside your network, it might be a cloud apps. Um, and your user might also be outside your network. They might be on a mobile device um, traveling, uh, uh, you know, traveling for wherever they need to go. Or they might be working from home, as we said earlier, uh, because of the coronavirus, maybe they need to telework, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the idea with Zero Trust is going away from having that, that uh, um, castle type of approach with the firewall and instead making sure that every point that you're accessing something, whether it's data or application, 
that you make sure that this is the right person that's accessing that. Um, and um, uh, so that's a, that's a big change in terms of the, 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 the IAM space. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's been up upcoming for, for quite a few years and it's really getting steam. Yeah. Let's take a little break right now. My guest today is Yves Massard, Product Marketing Director for Identity and Access Management Solutions at HID Global. I'm your moderator, John Thomas Flynn, on the discussion of cybersecurity, compliance, and risk management sponsored by HID Global on Federal News Network. Finding the right multi-factor authentication and building a zero-trust strategy that's compliant with current mandates can feel like a huge challenge. Security doesn't have to be overly complex. State, county, or municipalities can be protected using the same ironclad security as the federal government. HID Global has a comprehensive identity management platform providing cybersecurity compliance, MFA for privileged users, e-authentication, and simplified PKI. Learn more at hidglobal.com sled. Welcome back to our discussion, Cybersecurity Compliance and Risk Management, sponsored by HID Global on Federal News Network. My guest today is Eve Massard, Product Marketing Director for Identity and Access Management Solutions at HID Global. I'm your moderator, John Thomas Flynn. Eve, before we, before we took a break, we were talking about mobility and uh, all the changes that have happened with citizen access to government. It can't be more important than it is these days. Talk a little bit more about that and the changes that evolved in the industry to address this issue. Yeah, so a lot has been done to make sure that you can use your phone to authenticate securely to your application. Uh, but when you're looking at mobility and citizen, you want to make sure that you don't provide one size fits all because with, uh, with citizen, it's a large pool of, uh, of users. And so some users actually might not be using mobile devices, so you want to make sure that you you have alternate means of uh, authentication. Uh, but uh, for the vast majority that do have mobile devices, um, the user experience can be very easy and very straightforward. Uh, you know, uh, something that's very uh, popular when it comes to mobility with consumer or citizen is uh, push authentication, uh, where when you try to access your application, you're going to get a a little, uh, a little uh, push notification on your phone that's mm -hmm. going to come through a separate channel, and it's a, it's a great way to shore up the security and, and prevent the, the kind of mine-in-the-middle attacks. So there, there's lots of things that have been done on the, the mobility to make it easier, make it more convenient, but at the same time also really increase the level of uh, um, security that you provide to your end users. Mm -hmm. You know, it used to be a big deal of just a few years ago when everybody was talking about, was it BYOD, bring mm -hmm. your own device. And everybody said, well, if everybody's bringing their own device, that complicates it even more. Let's have the organization itself issue the devices. Where does that argument stand these days? I think it really depends on the organization. Uh, you will find organization that, uh, you know, allows bring your own device. And in fact, it might be the only thing that the, the users have. But there's other organization where they will only accept, you know, government furnished equipment, right? So. It really depends on the organization, and then in the middle you have some that uh, that that allows for both. So mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, it's really all across the map. On that I point. haven't heard it discussed much in the last couple of years. To tell mm -hmm. you the truth, that's why it's, I thought I'd bring it up just to see if it's still on the on the radar. Uh, let's move over to uh, zero trust and multi-factor authentication. It's such a big issue anymore. Is that really the first place to start for state and local governments when they're looking at the authentication process? 
Yeah, that would be a great place to start, uh, especially with the, the changes in the industry with cloud application and mobility. Um, it would be a, a great way to look at that and make sure that whenever you uh, whenever you um, uh, you access an application, you make sure it's the right person that access it. Uh, and really, you got to think about uh, multi-factor authentication as the foundation for zero trust. Uh, if you want to get to zero trust, um, you don't get zero trust if you're not sure who's the right user, and multi-factor authentication is really the way to go for that. Mm -hmm. Um, what are some of the major factors that we're facing within the, in the next couple of years in terms of cybersecurity and compliance? What are the big things on the radar screen? I know we're going to get into coronavirus in a minute, but what about the other things that are so important these days? Yeah, so there's obviously a lot of uh, uh, on the news around ransomware. Um, and um, um, with ransomware, of course, having a good, uh, uh, you know, good strategy around backup, disaster recovery is important. Uh, but uh, multi-factor authentication can also help with that in uh, preventing it from spreading laterally. Uh, so uh, it has benefits there. Uh, 2020, of course, uh, election security is uh, uh, on top of the mind, and, and that's not something that's going away. You know, <laughs> we're doing election every year, so uh, that's that's going to stay for for a long time. Uh, and I think in general, um, there is a. Um, um, there is really uh, an idea with uh, local and state that uh, you know they, they need to they need to catch up and uh, really uh, deploy stronger security so that they can keep providing the the, the vital services that they provide to the community um, because cybersecurity helps prevent uh, um, issues helps with the the continuity of service mm -hmm. and so that's that's really important. Yeah, well. uh, unfortunately, it's become somewhat of a political issue. Uh, the whole issue of uh, identification and voting, where uh, some look at it as a uh, barrier to voting, where others look at it and say, geez, if you have to show an ID to get on a plane, shouldn't you show an ID to vote? So these are some of the political implications yeah. and barriers that, that present themselves when you're trying to use technology to solve a problem that has more issues than just the technology itself. That, that's true. I think around election security, it's it's definitely you know city, the citizen is a big part of that but mm -hmm. i think also a lot of it is around infrastructure and those should be much less controversial because um, the 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 citizen themselves they they don't interact a lot with the it systems uh, you know they might uh, they might be using an e-voting booth that kind of thing but really it's all around the infrastructure that's that's around there and those are more the employees or the the volunteers that works around the election and and you want to make sure that you start there in terms of cyber security mm -hmm. we've only got a minute or two left let's uh, let's talk about this black swan and that certainly is the coronavirus and the implications that it has uh, especially for state and local government well for all government levels when you yeah. think about it and private sector for that matter but when uh, we're talking about for the first time I think a real a real uh, a decision to move into the telework arena that's had its ebbs and flows over the last 15, 20 years. But now we're seeing, the, seeing that this is, an, this is uh, critical for government continuity. What does that term, what does that mean in terms of HID Global? Yeah, so what it means is uh, if you're going to let your, uh, your users access uh, your application and your network remotely, you want to make sure that it's your user and not some kind of hacker coming from across the world. And so strong authentication is a, is a really strong focus in this area. Um, and uh, HID provides uh, many solutions that uh, helps organization uh, adds that security so that when they enable their users to, to telecommute, 
and, and provide that uh, continuity of service, uh, we are we're, we're able to do that in a secure fashion. Well, hopefully we can have you back here in a couple of months and we won't have to talk about this anything more, anymore, right? Uh, I think that's going to have to call it a day. I'd like to thank our guest, Yves Massard, Product Marketing Director for Identity and Access Management Solutions at HID Global. I'm your moderator, John Thomas Flynn, and you're listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search HID Global. Thank you for listening to the discussion, Cybersecurity Compliance and Risk Management, sponsored by HID Global on Federal News Network.